Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, the uncensored podcast that covers the stories and issues featured on the Kennedy Beacon Substack. We hope you'll explore the Beacon Substack, where you'll find talented writers and reporters bringing you important political analysis and courageous perspectives. And you'll learn a lot more about Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign. I'm Francis Scott, and I am here today with my co-hosts, Nico House and Aaron Good. Good to see and hear you guys. Good to be back with you guys. Yeah, thanks a lot, Francis. Today's show is called The Freedom to Choose. No issue in America is more contentious and politicized than medical freedom. Last weekend, I had the chance, along with our podcast technical director, Livio Sanchez, to attend the Children's Health Defense Conference in Savannah, Georgia. It brought home so many ideas about what freedom really means here in this country, a country literally founded on the idea of freedom of choice, right? But as we know in so many ways, sometimes our nation falls short on that promise. Whether we're talking about race or class or gender issues or any number of things, freedom of choice is not available to everyone in equal measure. And what we all learned during the COVID era of lockdowns and vaccine mandates, what you can or cannot do with your own body seems to be something the government appears to be trying very hard to control. Aaron, Nico? Yeah, I mean, with uh, COVID shots and the whole medical industrial complex and our friends at Big Pharma, there's a whole lot of uh, different actors here with their own agendas, and uh, they, they trample on medical freedom uh, if it suit, whenever it suits them. Yeah, um, I don't understand how we can consider uh, anything within the pharmaceutical or medical industry freedom when they have the freedom to pay the government as much as they want to, to get the results that they want to, and to deflect accountability uh, to the degree that they have. Um, I could just give a, a brief example. So my grandfather got a, the Moderna shot because he was forced to because of his job, right? So already had his choice taken away, even though he worked the basically the entirety of the pandemic in California, security guard didn't have any problems. But they told him if he wanted to keep his job, he had to get it. And it's very easy to lobby companies for this. And then his clinic, even though my grandma told him no, he told his clinic no. His clinic basically bullied him into it while he was getting his uh, uh, dialysis. And my grandfather unfortunately died 36 hours later. Um, and the whole time after that, people were still trying to convince me and my family that it was a choice. When at the end of the day, it was only an illusion of choice. He never really had an option. Uh, and when Big Pharma has the type of money and power that they do, that's effectively what we have across the board. And we keep seeing that over and over again in politics. Yeah, seriously. I used to be what I would consider, you know, I'll let the free market decide. I was a free market capitalist. <laughs> but what I didn't understand that I understand now after my own health journey, which was a 12-year nightmare, was that regulation. We we have what's worse than no regulation. We have the appearance of regulation without actual regulation. And what well I found in my journey, thank you, uh, it was a, a long, hard thing to learn for me personally. Um, I'll, I'll, quick little sidebar here. I got uh, both my hips replaced when I was 39 and felt worse, huge pain, a bunch of systemic issues. Um, I was, I had tinnitus. I was hallucinating um, couldn't sleep, personality, mood, behavioral changes. I honestly thought, well, I'm either becoming schizophrenic or mentally ill in some way. 
Uh, or achieving had, enlightenment or achieving enlightenment. That could have been. <laughs> yeah, not the, not the fun kind of enlightenment. Um, yeah, and I started getting lost like a dementia patient. And had I been 59 instead of 39, people around me probably would have said, oh, poor Frances, you know, she just, mm. she got dementia and then we lost her. But it took me about six years to figure it out. That That meant... Um, interviewing whistleblowers related to my exact tip product, talking whistleblower surgeons, talking to other people. Meantime, the medical community being advised by the company that made my exact tip products was telling me, oh, they're fine. There's no problem. You're the only one having trouble. I don't know what's wrong with you. So what I really learned was the pharma companies are doing what they can get away with. And our real problem is that our regulators are actually working more for pharma, more for the companies they're supposed to be policing than us. And that's in part because of these user fees, what the fees, you know, the fees that the pharmaceutical companies pay every time they want to get a new product onto the market. Basically, they're getting as much, if not a little bit more from the drug companies, drug and device companies, than they are from the taxpayers. And that is a horrible thing. One person who talked about how we just have to separate uh, the research on these products from the companies trying to sell them is a man named James Lyons Weiler. I had the chance to meet him. I was a big fan. And I met him in Savannah. I had the chance to talk with him. We did a quick interview. And I want to play a little bit of it for you. He's speaking about the harms being caused by and the economics of these COVID vaccines. Now, from the big perspective, right, you take the United States of America and say, well, we're in competition for pharmaceutical companies from all around the other countries with their own pharmaceutical companies from all around the world. So why wouldn't we want the government to facilitate success in our businesses? We do. But putting out drugs that have uh, the ability to cause heart attacks and kill 75,000 people like Vioxx or putting out vaccines that cause blood clots and cause strokes. Um, death. Death. And then boldface lying about it as if that's going to be part of the solution is actually just going to compound the problem. So COVID is a big business, guys. In 2022 alone, Pfizer made $57 billion from its vaccine and antiviral drug Plaxlovid. But the tide is changing and Americans are less inclined to go along with the national company line about the need for boosters. All right, so... It's probably because we know that 17% of Americans have gotten the newest jab and 43% of those people were over 65. So that tells us support for the new jabs is sinking like Joe Biden's poll numbers, all right? But the reason we have to have these conversations, of course, uh, is because there are not enough people aware of the damage that had been previously done. And honestly, uh, the way that people need to be careful in the future, because honestly, we haven't really seen the final results of this experimental drug. Yes, it does say something about the lack of faith that the public has in the government's uh, his, the government's background in dealing with COVID. I mean, the whole history of the way that they dealt with the uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, Americans have walked away from this narrative uh, and the fear that they tried to impose on all of us by uh, the government in in conjunction with the the big pharmaceutical corporations and so on. Uh, as, as Nico just been pointing out, and Francis too, they've profited hugely from COVID and from uh, you know med the, the medical industry. Anyway, it's a series of, of rackets when it comes down to it. Uh, but the way that the public has turned against uh, the authorities on this is uh, a, an indication that things are shifting. Uh, to a large extent, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been one of the leading figures uh, leading this change. 
Agreed. I would not have found Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or discovered the things he's saying. Also, Children's Health Defense, he he was the chair and now he's away from that position as he runs for president. But had I not gone through my own experience, done my own investigation, saw the shenanigans over and over again um, conducted by pharma, and then the regulatory agency's refusal to police. Plus, you know, everyone's jumping in and out of bed. You know, that's not a literal term, but, you know, you can hop back and forth between a drug company and the agency charged with policing uh, these drug companies. And there's no penalty. There's no no one's watching who's, you know, oh, I'm going to work for this company now. Now I'm back at the FDA. Oh, now I'm going to be a VP of this company. So I do want to take right now, I think it's a good opportunity to introduce our guest, Deborah Sheldon, a medical freedom advocate and one of the many amazing people I had the opportunity to meet and spend some time with at the Children's Health Defense Conference in Savannah. Deborah worked at the Red Cross and after 9-11 at New York City's Office of Emergency Management. Now, when the COVID lockdowns began, Deborah, like the tens of thousands of first responders around her, recognized that Americans' right to make their own medical decisions was under attack. That inspired her to jump into the movement to maintain Americans' freedom to choose which medical products they want to take and which they'd prefer to decline. It's been just the latest chapter in Deborah's multi-decade quest to strengthen the world around her. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Francis. Talk about what we're facing right now as far as the way you see it, the attack on Americans' freedom over their own health. Sure. Um, So one of the things that I just want to say is that one of the things that we learned loud and clear during the lockdowns is something that I kind of felt for a very long time in my heart, which is that the government isn't coming to save you. What I found is that people who are actively engaged in their own communities, pursuing the things they love, are most likely to be the stewards of those things. Very true. And so, yeah, absolutely, right? And so what I found is that most of the freedom fighters that we've met over the course of this movement are people who are so deeply committed to protecting the things they love. And the reason they knew it right up front was because they saw that something was standing in the way between them and their health. And that was the catalyst. And that was the impulse that moved them to take to the streets I agree. I met so many people, including one woman. She was in New York State and moved to Georgia. She was apolitical. I would describe myself as that. You know, as a journalist, you don't typically get very involved, or at least, you know, maybe if you're involved, it's very behind the scenes. But, you know, nobody knew how I voted. Nobody, in fact, I was like, ah, you know, I could see it all different ways. But this woman I met from New York, now living in Georgia, said, COVID woke me up. I said, Oh, my gosh, I've got to get involved. And now she's a she's a watcher on Election Day. She said, absolutely, we have to find a way to get involved. Even if you've never been politically involved, now is the time, because if we don't have the right to control what does or does not go into our bodies, are we really free? Mm hmm. Great question. There were all these beautiful signs during the movement that people made, and many of these photographs were captured um, by a photographer who goes by Souls of a Movement. And there's this really poignant one that has exactly that message, Francis. Are we really free if it's forced? And we know that some people, perhaps Nico, like your grandfather, Mm -hmm. it wasn't true informed consent. It was a violation of human rights. No one was given informed consent. In fact, my grandpa and my grandmother were both informed enough to not take it. 
I mean, just by the information that we had available, even by the CDC, they said, you know, if you're in a situation where you have a weaker heart, don't take it because mm. it could be a problem. And instead, mm-hmm. someone flipped the clinic, flipped that and said, because you're on dialysis, it actually means you should take it, which was obviously mm. stupid. But that's but that's what happens whenever there's so much money involved in giving out these shots. And people also forget that the reality is a lot of these uh, medical, um, these, these businesses, what I call them, they're operating in red and green like all other private corporations. They have a bottom line that they have to meet that a lot of people don't take into account. And so that's how you even get these clinics and hospitals involved in pushing poison. I was extremely frustrated, too, with the media's lack of coverage of adverse events. People who, you know, maybe there's no direct correlation, but you get enough anecdotes and you have reason for a question. Um, It just but you have to understand when you see every other ad as a drug company, understand who is funding (laughs) your news. Mm hmm. So, Deborah, could you tell the audience uh, what event or events led you to become so active in this uh, in this area? Do you, uh, Aaron, do you mean health freedom in general? Yes. Wow. Um, I think the seeds of it go back to my childhood. I grew up in a working class town in the Hudson and I didn't until my probably my teenage years realize that I had grown up on a super fun site. Um, And so I became really sensitive to and committed to finding out who had done that. (laughs) You know, working class folks have this way of kind of internalizing their own accountability. And so I really felt that someone should be accountable for that. So I started asking questions from a really young age. And when when I became an adult, and especially when I became a mother, I really started to question the way I wanted to birth my child, how I wanted to treat them, how I wanted to love and nourish them. And that brought me, before that, I'd already worked um, in food justice and in the regional food system. I'd worked with a lot of citizen activists, many of whom were active in the civil rights movement. uh, So these were um, older Black women who were active in their neighborhoods improving quality of life, hands-on, boots on the ground, much like uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So it already was questioning the kind of official narrative of things. And I was already very much drawn to taking charge of my own health. And so I guess whenever anyone tried to say, you have to do this, there was a red flag for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rebel came out. Yeah. Rebel came out. I'm the same way. So. They call it, you know, in the military, they used to say I had adjustment disorder because of that. That's what they said. That's what they call it. Said, My husband says I, has, says I have oppositional defiant disorder. This is yeah, like the, the one way. I wasn't always this way, but my experience made me a rebel. I love, and I want to point everyone toward, Deborah, your Kennedy Beacon Substack, A Homecoming for Health Freedom. I love how you talk about seeing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and what he did with Riverkeeper to, to, re, to heal the river, to heal the Hudson, and how that taught you the importance of litigation in this whole and act, you know activism, we can make a difference if we will just get involved and make it well known. I, I've never you know written a lawmaker before in my life, but by golly, in the past three years, I started cranking those things out. Yeah, and it helps. It does. People don't know that. 
we have a very organized group up here in Columbia County, and we are active lobbyists now. which the state capital, they tried to bypass the legislative process, and they were meeting in a basement room in Albany, and a whole group of us decided to go to this public public health policy council meetings where they're trying to pass these regulations and we each speak and give testimony. They meet once a month. They now know who we are and they know that we're an active watchdog group. Hey, Deb. So in my experience, when I hear the word regulations, I just think of a bunch of corporations trying to create major obstacles so that the good guys in the in the great corporations that are trying to get honest, do honest work and get make an honest living can't get in. And it also creates avenues to escape accountability for those major corporations that are paying out the politicians. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Um, We've been so lucky that um, now that we are actually seeing on the inside of where these decisions are made, that we can bring in people like Bobby Ann Cox, who was one of the attorneys who very early on saw the regulation relating to um, these sort of camps where they were, you know, attempting to build these quarantine camps for people. And they passed that regulation basically in this dark room. Um, and the fact that we were watching it and we brought her in really helped us identify who the bad actors are and also identify that that's unconstitutional. Yep, I'd say it is. But I'd say market control. You know, a lot of times regulation is just a way for the dominant companies or the biggest or the most powerful, the ones with the most attorneys and money to fight these Mm -hmm. things can essentially box other companies out. So, again, it's Mm -hmm. the appearance of regulation without the actual regulation that we, the public, think is going on. Aaron, any last minute thoughts before we say goodbye to Deborah? The issue with regulation is kind of fundamental to our whole system of corporate capture all the way down from the electoral process to the way the media operates, the way the the finance operates, the monetary system and and all of this. It's pretty clear that if you wanted to have a functional regulatory uh, administration, a, a system of federal regulation, you would need to look for conflicts of interest and root them out uh, and have policies in place to make sure that they are insulated from industry influence. And we absolutely do not. And it's obvious to anyone who looks at them seriously at all. This, uh, and and with medical, the medical industry, it's really quite scary. If it's the soda industry, you kind of think like, well, you're, you're drinking, you know, Red Bull and Pepsi all the time. It's, you probably know that's not good for you, whatever. The, the pharmaceutical industry, the healthcare industry, it's, it's pretty horrifying to, when you think of the implications of the regulatory capture that, that we, can, we can see uh, there. So yeah, it's, and that's it's one, very weighty, weighty stuff. That is one thing that has resonated so much with what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says and why so many people are following him. We have to do something about this. It affects the economics. If you have a chronic health issue or a sick, very sick child, maybe a relative for whom you're caring, you will be decimated financially and professionally. There is no way. If, if you lose your health, you lose everything. Deborah, so great having you on the show this week. Thank you for thank joining us in, thanks, on behalf Deb. of all so of much. us at the Kennedy Beacon Podcast. Thank you. I hope you'll come back soon. And thank you, our audience, for joining us. We invite you to read Deborah's column, A Homecoming for Health Freedom. You can find it by searching the Kennedy Beacon Substack. It'll pop right up, and then you can find Deborah's piece and many other important pieces. And I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Kennedy Beacon Podcast. Thanks, guys. Take it easy, guys.